Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors come to share their stories, insights, and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Ted Purdy. Let me remind you about Ted's background. He is from Phoenix, Arizona, played his college golf at the University of Arizona, where he was a four-time All-Pac-10 selection and a three-time NCAA All-District selection. He was a third-team All-American in 1995, and he, along with his teammates Jason Gore, Jim Furyk, and several others on that wonderful team, won the 1992 NCAA National Championship. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, he was a University of Arizona Academic Champion Award winner three years in a row from 1992 to 1994. In 1995, Ted finished runner-up at the NCAA championship, finishing one stroke behind Auburn's Chick Spratlin. Ted beat, uh, beat Tiger Woods by six strokes at the 96 Arizona Ping Invitational. He's played in more competitive rounds than anyone in Arizona golf history. He was inducted into the Wildcats Hall of Fame in 2005, turned pro in 96, in 97, he won the Asian Masters Championship and was named Rookie of the Year on the Asian PGA Tour. He won once so far on the Web.com Tour at the 2003 First Tee Arkansas Classic and once on the PGA Tour at the 2005 Byron Nelson Classic. And I'm excited he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Ted, thanks for coming back on the show. No, anytime. Thanks for the invite. So, Ted, I saw you play not all that long ago uh, at the uh, Barbasol Championship back in July. So does this mean we might see more of you in the 2019 season? Well, I hope so. Uh, when you play poorly, they uh, they don't let you play anymore on the PGA Tour. So um, I've got to earn, earn my fate, unfortunately. Um, I, I'm planning on playing uh, in October uh, the Sanderson Farm and hopefully get in the one or two in the, of the Fall Series events. Uh, so I'm still working at it. If Tiger's made his comeback, I, he's kind of inspired me. So hopefully I come back as well. There you go. So ha- yeah. have you missed being out there on tour, Ted? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the PGA Tour. I, I tell everybody I'm, I'm living the dream. I, I'm a PGA Tour winner, and uh, they can never take that away from me. And, um, yeah, being being on the PGA Tour is, uh, is, is the place to be for sure. And, Ted, I wanted to get your reaction to today's announcement regarding the changes to the FedEx Cup for next season. In particular, the change to a sort of a strokes play-based reward system where the FedEx Cup leader coming into the Tour Championship here at Eastlake is going to start the event 10 under par. Second place person will be at 8 under, third place 7 under, and, and so on. Do you think that's a better way to handle things in order to be sure that the winner of the Tour Championship also is the winner of the FedEx Cup? Um, I, I do just because since 2007, since they created the FedEx Cup, um, even the players don't understand it and don't understand the point system. I, I mean, we get points and, and the, the leaders would shuffle 
all day long. You're watching it on TV. You're watching the Tour Championship on TV, and, and one player's up and he's going to win the FedEx Cup, and two holes later, a totally different person just because of the complexity of the point system. The players didn't understand it. The I don't think the spectators understood what was going on. Um, so you lost a lot of drama just because of the complexity of the of the system. This is a I think a brilliant way to make it, you know, just black and white. On Thursday on Thursday the guy ahead has a ten shot lead and uh let's see if he can hold on. Um I think it's a great way to do it. Um, yeah, I get, the the only concern that I have is sort of like what we're seeing right now where, you know, Bryson has got such a, a large, you know, points lead, if you will, right? He's got such a large mm-hmm. points lead. It seems like it it should be more than a two-stroke differential. I, you know, hey, if they came up with some mathematical equation, and I and I heard them talking today about how they sort of ran everything by guys at MIT to make sure that you know the equations and the the formula seemed right, I, I would just wonder if they, if it could slide up and down a little bit so that if the guy coming in in first has done what Bryson's done, right? He's won two tournaments coming into this thing. And, you know, if if it happened to be that, you know, if someone got on a roll and won two or three tournaments and had a really large lead in the points, because I think this only counts, you know, this stroke play is only going to be for the tour championship, not for the other events in the playoff. But if a guy had a really huge lead, the, the seed would only be a two-stroke lead going in, doesn't seem quite as fair to me, but I'm really interested to see what what you know what you and and the players think about how fair that is, and, and maybe maybe to your point, is, is the upside is at least we can get our minds wrapped around how it works. Because if they didn't to this point, I could see where the guys would be like anything is better. Yeah, I mean, I I think anything is better to be honest with you, and the it'll I'm sure they'll adjust you know for the for the 2020 season. So if it if it doesn't seem like the points are the way they should be, then I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll adjust again. But this is definitely a more, I think, a, a simpler concept. More more people are going to understand it. The, the fans are going to probably embrace it more energetically. Like um, I think it's, I think they had to do something because for the last 11 years, nobody really knew or could understand it. And I think, honestly, if you look back, there were players that had big leads going into the final tournament. And uh, the person who win the final tournament would win the FedEx Cup. So that's the system's worked that way for a long time. For the, at least the last 11 years, there have been people with big leads that have not won the FedEx Cup. And Ted, you know, they also and added now, a, a $10 million bonus for the top 10 finishers during the regular season. So you're going to have sort of a, a regular season champ. Um, and money's always right, always a great incentive. But do you think this this sort of you know bonus, this ten million dollar bonus, two million to the guy who wins the regular season, is going to get players to play in in more events to try to get to that bonus, or is you know sort of off the golf course, if you will, is trying to put together your schedule for the year and other commitments that you've got off the golf course? Does that make it challenging to try to put together even and add even one more event? to what you did the previous year? Well, I think most of the guys, um, because of the, the new system, the new FedEx Cup, most guys play about the same amount of events. I mean, Tiger was always a rarity because he he played the minimum. He played 15 events. But most guys pretty much played the 25 to 30 events a year. And um, to, I, 
I don't think it's going to change people's schedules. I don't think it's going to um, add – Tiger's probably not going to add tournaments to his schedule. I don't think it'll make much of a difference um, on people's schedule. tells you the, the the extra $10 million bonus tells you the, how the PGA Tour – how healthy the PGA Tour is and how, you know, professional golf in general is just uh, is doing amazing. So the fact that they keep coming up with ways to make the guys richer is uh, – is uh, why I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world and have been a part and, and still am a part of the PGA Tour. That's something else that uh, we have to look forward to are a whole bunch of rules changes that are going to go into effect in January. When you've looked over some of those new rules, anything come, you know, leap out at, at, at leap out to you and say, you know what, thank God this thing is long overdue to change. Yeah, I think just in general, the anytime you decriminalize things, it makes the game more fun, more easier to understand. Um, nothing really jumps out to me, but uh, anytime we decriminalize the the system, the better. And Ted, one of one of the things that I've wondered, you know, to me, the the, the inability to repair a spike mark on a green is something that's never made any sense to me. Did, have you ever run into a situation college, you're out on tour, where a spike mark or a rule like that, you know, in, negatively impacted you? Like, boy, if I could have fixed that spike mark, that putt might have gone in. Oh, yeah, we've all had that. I mean, you, you have these four or five footers, and that's where everybody walks around the hole. Um, nowadays, with the invention of the soft spike, uh, we don't have as many spike marks as we used to have, obviously. Um, there's still quite a few guys on the PGA Tour that wear spikes, but um, the greens now are so good, and the, the the way they maintain the greens and the advent of the soft spike, we don't have as many, as, as many spike marks, um, but I think everybody that's played the game has always has had one affect a, a short putt because, uh, you know, around the hole is where everybody walks, and as Dave Pelt said, he calls it the lumpy a lumpy donut, you're just going to get, you're going to have some bad luck like that. And it's great that we can now uh, hopefully repair that kind of, kind of a obstacle. Has the has the tour at all discouraged guys from wearing metal spikes? Or is it just sort of a grandfather and, hey, if you want to wear them, fine. If not, you know, you go, you obviously go the, the soft spike route. But I, w- I would, I would have thought by now the tour would have discouraged, you know, metal spikes. Uh, no, the tour doesn't discourage it. I think they're harder to find nowadays. <laughs> if you if you go into the shoe room and need some extra spikes, they might have to they might have to get on eBay. But uh, but, but no, it doesn't. It, they don't discourage anything we do. Um, we're all independent contractors. You know, they'll they'll make a rule make sense, and we all have to abide by it. But but they try to kind of stay about out of our way. If we think we make more birdies with with metal spikes, then they'll let us wear them. They don't discourage that. Ted, switching gears a little bit, I was wondering, who, who are some of the guys out on tour that you really enjoy getting to, whether it's play a practice round with or even during a tournament for that matter? Who are some of the guys you really look forward to playing with? Well, I, you know, I'm one of the older guys, so um, <laughs> I, I'd say I'm one of the old fat guys now. But just <laughs> the, the game of golf really um, – if you watch it on TV or you play golf with uh, with anybody, that's why it's it's such a great business tool. Um, there's a famous line somebody said that 
golf is the elevation of every occupation. And it's because you really get to know the person that you're playing with because of this crazy game we play. And it causes emotions and it causes us stress and it, and how we, we uh, deal with that, um, affects the people around us. And the, if you just were watching it on TV, they'll, hey, if Freddie Couples looks like a really fun guy to play with. Well, by the way, he's a great guy to play with for two reasons. His tempo is so fluid and beautiful that you kind of absorb through osmosis his, his rhythm and, uh, um, but he's also a great guy. He um, is encouraging to the people he plays with. He's, uh, the fans absolutely adore him. Um, Freddie would be the first guy you know, I, I would say I'd like to play with. Um, and obviously, like Ernie Elves, same kind of thing for me. I like, love playing with Ernie because he's a great guy. He's, he's fun. He, uh, but it's his rhythm, his temperament, and his golf swing. When, he, when you're playing with um, somebody with that kind of um, cadence or tempo, it just it, it sure makes me play better. Um, uh, you know, another great guy, just because I think he's great, is Timmy Heron. Um, I grew up, I was roommates with Jason Gore. I love playing with my old roommate, Jason Gore. And, um, anyway, so that's, that's kind of the guys I like to play with. And Ted, having played big time college golf and then obviously out on, you know, escalating through the different tours, the Asian tour, the web.com tour, and ultimately the PGA tour, how, how did you get used to playing in front of larger and larger and larger crowds? Because I know, you know, you played, you know, against Tiger many times in college. You played obviously with him on the PGA tour. How did, how did you get, you know, sort of acclimated to all of a sudden from tens of fans to hundreds of fans to thousands of fans to tens of thousands of fans lining every fairway, every tee box, every green you played. Kind of, I hate to say it, we're kind of like junkies. Um, once you get the taste of that, you, you just want it more and more. And um, and you want to get in the hunt more because, uh, because of the energy that you're getting from the crowd. Um, you know, I used to say, you know, I play, you know, that I play in a major and I'd be at the British Open and then the next week we'd, we'd, um, we'd be at the Canadian Open, for example. And you almost felt like there was a letdown at the Canadian Open because it's not the British Open, but the Canadian Open is still amazing. So, um, yeah, we just, it's just a, a thing that we actually, I actually just thrive on. I think Tiger thrives on it, obviously, and um, the other good players out there. If if we didn't, you'd probably drive you crazy. And that's why some guys just don't make it because there is a lot of attention, and people don't like playing golf in front of people, other you know, big crowds, and um, you know, that's a fine line between. There's a lot of amazing golfers out there in the world. A lot of amazing young pros that are trying to make it, and um, and there's just something about the guys that do make it. They 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 thrive on the 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 bigger crowds and the more attention. At, at what point in your career, Ted, did did you no longer? I mean, I guess lack of a better term or phrase, did you no longer notice them? Did it no longer become 
you know, the idea that you got tens of thousands of eyes watching you and the noise and the people talking. At what point did it sort of just drift off into the background? I think it happens pretty quick. I, I, I think you get used to it. In fact, you, you, you hope you have more people around you because it means you're playing well. Um, you know, when you, when you're hitting a ball in, honestly, when you're hitting a ball into a green that's surrounded with spectators, your ball can't get that far away from the green because it's going to hit somebody. Um, that's why I said that, you know, Tiger and, um, Arnold Palmer, man, they had, they had a big advantage because they, they hit it in the gallery and it potentially hit somebody in the head and get back in the fairway. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I say that in jest, but it is kind of true. Like my ball, because nobody's watching me play, I'd hit it over the green and shoot it go 30, 40 yards. Tiger misses a green and it ends up, you know, he's still around the green because it hit somebody's foot. But, um, yeah, the more people around, the better. And it, you get over it pretty quick. I mean, Donnie Hanna, he'll tell you in a couple of minutes, same thing. You get over it pretty quick. In fact, you want it. You, you're kind of, you're hoping for it, um, for a lot of reasons. And Ted, you, you mentioned Mr. Palmer's name, and I was curious, have, have you had an opportunity to, to sit down with some of the legends of the game, like a Mr. Palmer or, or Nicholas or a player, and, and, and pick their brains, get some tips, maybe a playing lesson, something along those lines? Did you get an opportunity to be with some, some of those guys? Yeah, all the above. Um, that's the thing about golf. It, it's not a – I mean, there's just not a lot of us out there. Um you know, 125 a year, 150 guys a year. And if you play in uh, the Memorial, Mr. Nicholas meets everybody and um, and likes to sit down and talk to everybody. And he's always got um, words of encouragement and, you know, wisdom that you can get from the front end. Uh, when I was or at Bay Hill in Ernie's tournament, um, a couple of years, Arnie asked me to, to host the, uh, pro-am party where him and I would get on stage and I'd go through the, the rules and tell a joke or two and, uh, and, um, and what was funny is, uh, I had made up to that point and up to the point of Arnie's tournament, I had made a million, over a million bucks that year. And, uh, I got up on stage and I said, well, uh, thank you, Mr. Palmer, because in the last four or five months, I've made a million dollars and I surpassed your career earnings. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, it's hard to believe that Arnold, I, I could uh, surpass Arnold Palmer's career earnings in a few months on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, um, pretty incredible. Yeah. Ted, a couple more before we let you go, and I want to kind of go back into some of the things that uh, that you were able to be a part of earlier in your career. And, and you got to play in the Masters in 2006. So before we talk about the tournament proper, did you get an opportunity? Did you get to play in the Par 3 tournament that year? At the Masters? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I played in two Masters. Um uh, I get, played in the, you know, you, you do all the traditional things, the pro, the Part three tournament and um I never played it very well in it, but uh yeah, I did it all. So yeah, I was curious, like, you know, I've I've walked that little part three uh, course several times. 
but you know, teeing it up on there, it just it seems like you know, obviously Augusta National is what it is, and it's the dream for so many of us. But uh, I think that little par three contest, or the course, I should say, is something that is very underrated and underappreciated for the folks that don't get an opportunity to be out there and uh, and check out the par three on Wednesday. Just for a moment, what's it like playing that little course? Well, it's it's maintained at par with the rest of the course or with the big course. I mean, it is just perfect condition. The greens are absolutely perfect. They've got a lot of, uh, you know, water hazards and bunkers and, um, and the galleries are, you're, the galleries on the part three tournament are basically, it's up and close and personal and, um, there's a lot more interaction with the guys because they're not stressed out about being playing in the Masters. They're just playing this part three. So everybody's signing autographs and having, um, joking with the crowd, the crowd. Uh, so as a spectator, it's probably, probably from a fan engagement situation, it's probably, uh, better than the real tournament. And Ted, in the regular tournament, What's it like stepping on the first tee on Thursday, hearing your name called, and then trying to hit that opening tee shot? So my first year, I was uh, was actually, I had the first tee time, and I think they do that to rookies on purpose. But um, <laughs> but so I, I've got the 8 o'clock tee time. Well, they open the gates at 8 o'clock. So I'm standing on the tee. I get my name. Up. Well, it's right after the, um, the big ceremony that we're, Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer hit the shot off the tee, and they open the gates at eight o'clock. Well, they open those gates, and the the fans are running, rushing to find their because if they set their chairs down for like on eighteen green, if you set your chair down on eighteen green and leave, your chair will be there the rest of the day. Nobody moves it, nobody touches it. It's your chair. You got there first, and you can go up to the bathroom. Nobody's gonna move it. You can go get a a cheese sandwich, and your your chair is going to be there. So, people at the Masters are running full sprint to find their their spot on sixteen green or eighteen green or thirteen around the par fives or whatever. So that there's this mad dash to the to, for the for the gallery members to get to their spots. Well, then they say, you know, Ted Purdy, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, play away, and um, it's just the greatest. You know, it's one of the greatest moments of, of any professional life teeing off on the first tee at Augusta National and the Masters. Ted, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with the things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media. Well, I'm at uh, Ted Purdy and Twitter, and um, that's probably the easiest way. I tweet every once in a while, but not very often. I unfortunately don't have a lot going on, but hopefully we've got a lot to tweet about again in the in the fall. Well, Ted, I look forward to seeing your name up on leaderboards and following you in the 2019 wraparound season. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being part of the show tonight. I always have so much fun when I get the opportunity to spend some time with you. Well, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. All right, Ted, take care. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. That's Ted Purdy, and he spells his last name P-U-R-D-Y, so at Ted Purdy on Twitter, and uh, I highly encourage you, go look him up. 
Ted had as successful a college career as you're going to find. And again, went up against Tiger Woods head-to-head when uh, Tiger was at Stanford and uh, won a couple of those events. So Ted uh, had a great career there, obviously a member of the Wildcats Hall of Fame. And we certainly look forward to watching Ted out on tour this, uh, this coming season and keeping up to date with all the great things he's doing and having him back on the show again real soon. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart. There needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 